Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sanderland podcast. I am Jamie, and with me, as always, is... Gina, Jack, and Joe. And this week, we are covering Mistborn Book 3, The Hero of Ages, chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, wherein Vin and Ellen expose a village of people to the mists. Then they, along with Sazed and Breeze, meet up with Damu and Ellen's army. Sazed and Vin have a heart-to-heart, and Ten soon faces the judgment in the trust warren. Now hold on to something, everybody. The Sandalanch is about to begin. As the towers of steel and stone crumble to dust, the foundations of our hope begin to rust. Choking fear, screaming sound, as a river comes to ground. You turn to face it down because you must. And when the world is starts to burn, So yeah, we got a couple of uh, Tensoon bits here, and uh, everybody else kind of getting back together. What did you guys think of these four chapters? I am really enjoying the Tensoon chapters. I was I was really glad that we got two of those. After reading the the end of the first one, I was like, oh no, we're gonna have to wait till next week till we hear more of that. But we didn't, which was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting about. Well, the, the method of inoculating people against the mist, I think that's a new piece of information that sort of once you've been exposed, you're all good. Interesting as well. And phased and breathed interactions, I think, are fantastic. I was a little bit disappointed that Orianne showed back up and contributed no substance to the <laughs> expected. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading these chapters. I think there's a lot of really cool information, and I'm just really pleased that, you know, we haven't, or in my view, reading the start of this book there's not really been any slow bits or any bits that I'm like oh come on keep going let's let's get to the next thing so I'm I'm actually really enjoying it yeah yeah Ariane shows up again so everyone's happy to see her and we're on track for whoever's theory it was that she was the hero of ages <laughs> coming right down the pipe so uh <laughs> I said that in jest sir nope it's it's a new thing Dak predicts I'm gonna put it as a headline oh my <laughs> god I'm the guy who predicted volcanoes for Adium, and even I think that's too far. <laughs> but no, I, I I like these chapters. I agree. I think the pacing in these ones is going really well. It's like there's always something new and interesting in each chapter. I I think my favorite part this week, aside from the Tensoon stuff, because that is, I agree, that's the highlight so far. But I love the conversation Vin has with her Coloss buddy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Human. Good, good Coloss name. Yeah, it was like, oh, this is new and different, and I really like this thing. And insight into their heads, you can see sort of shades of what was going on when Ellen met up with them in the last book, where they're just like, we're people, you're not, we're the real people. I'm like, okay, we're going to delve a bit more into this. This is interesting. I like that. So I'm curious to see if we get to talk to human again. Mm. Um, but yeah, on the whole, good chapters. I'm going to try to pilot this with a weird brain because I'm a little inebriated. There you go, listeners. You have insight into what's going on with me right now. Uh, so these chapters were good. Tensun, I'm with Jamie on that. The, the, those were definitely my favorite chapters so far. And I really like the Vin and Sazed moment that we get. It's very sweet, very nice. Uh, Sazed really needs it, I think. He's having a hard time. 
And uh, I'm interested to know, I mean, he's already kind of saying that he's debunked it, but it was an interesting tidbit we got that the uh, Larsteism is the religion that Mayer believed in. I thought that was a nice little tidbit we got as well. So, yeah, I really enjoyed each of these chapters. I'm really excited to see what this Tencent thing is going to be. I'm and, and I've got some predictions that I'll I'll wait till the end to talk about. Okay. Yeah, it's uh I think it's funny that he's like, yeah, Kelsier's wife is one of the few people who ever bought into one of the religions I was preaching. Just I wouldn't think that she got mentioned at all because I think I don't think we mentioned her at all in the second book, did we? I don't remember actually. There wasn't really many people left around who knew her. I mean, I guess uh, Docs was familiar with her, but huh, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know that they did. Okay, I guess let's get into these uh, these four chapters. The first epigraph is uh, we're learning a little more about Ruin, and uh, the epigraph writer's like, hey, don't. It's easy to think of Ruin as this just force of destruction, but you have to think it's intelligent decay, not just chaos. Ruin wants to break everything down to its most basic forms. Kind of fits the name Ruin, <laughs> well named, but it can plot and plan so. Knowing if he builds one thing up, he can use it to knock two others down. Which I guess is kind of what, you know, the Lord Ruler was trying to do with the Inquisitors or the Kalos or whatever he created. Like, we look at them and go, yeah, that's pretty, they're pretty crazy beings, but they are pulling things down as well as they go. It's true. And the Conjure do say that they're of, uh, they're of ruin. So, you know. No, they, I mean, they said people are of ruin. They said they themselves are of preservation. I think I said that people and the Coloss, because they were talking about the Coloss at the time. I think they, they were like, you guys are of ruin and we're of... Oh, I thought they I said right. that they and the Coloss were of preservation. I'm well, confused. see, now everyone's just got different uh, readings of that. Now, yeah. Now, hold, yeah. On, hold on. I got to go back now. That's the only way that we can resolve this. So it says... He, he's talking about how... The humans, uh, their contra- their stories or religion or whatever say that the humans are going to kill themselves off. And he's like, you are of ruin after all, while the conjure are of preservation. So, yeah, no, he, ju- he does just say the humans. You're right, Jack. Interesting. I wonder what the Kolos are then, if they're mm-hmm. of anything. <laughs> I think I assumed they were of ruin if the Lord Ruler created them, but the Lord Ruler created the Khandra, So Yep. Yeah. So we have been told he is their father. Hmm. And it start, this, the chapter starts very dramatically, where it's like the first day out of the city, uh, Van Allen murdered 100 villagers. But really, it's just there's no way to house all of these people to keep them out of the mist. So the only choice is to expose everyone to the mist and let it do its thing. Yeah, chicken pox on a large scale. Yeah, kind of. But families have to watch in horror as their loved ones writhe on the ground. So that's nice. Honestly, I'm surprised that people this far out have managed to stay out of the mist as long as they have. True. Well, they can still keep it out by closing the door, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But I figure if the mist is staying, like, half the day, then it's, like, really you just stay inside all that time? All right. I think that's their point, too. There's going to come a point where the mists are there all day, every day, that it won't be feasible to keep people inside. So at least if we've done it now, it's done. And Vin has uh, changed her opinion very strongly on the mists. When she first, Kelsey first trained her, the mists were her friend, and now she's like, I hate you. Stupid mist. I like all the different things that uh, apparently Ellen scholars have tried. It's like we tried hoods to keep people from breathing the mist. We tried to wait until the mists were already established before going outside or rushing people inside the moment they started shaking, but nothing works. Though animals are immune for some reason. 
So the mist gave fits to fewer than one in six, and only a small fraction of those died. One in six still seems like a lot, I gotta say. If one in six for a reaction is is quite high, but I didn't, I guess from what we read in the second book too, I didn't sort of think that the mist really left survivors. Mm. Most people that we heard of died. So I was expecting a whole bunch of people just to die. I think when Sazed ran across that one guy in the house in the village by himself, that guy told him that some of them fell down and got back up and then were like, hey, it's fine, come out. And he was like, no, no, I'm not going out there. But that was one very small incident in the giant Mm. book. (laughs) Yeah. I'd forgotten about that part, so thanks for bringing that back up. Mm. (laughs) And Fatron's like, this is horrible. And Ellen's like, look, we talked about this. Most of them are going to recover when we had to do this. We're going to be walking a while. We don't have tents for everybody, so they were going to get in the mist at some point. Yeah, I just don't think the term inoculated, which I'm sure they just don't understand how it's working. I don't really think it applies in this situation because there's it's clearly just something that has to do with the mist and how it affects people based on some of the um, epigraphs we read in this this uh, chapter. These chapters, I have kind of a theory about that. Oh, okay. You're going to wait till theories you want to come out with. I'll at least wait until we get to that epigraph that kind oh, of that made sense. me think of it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they expose everyone. At least, I mean, that's a good thing is, like we said, once you've been in the mist once, that's the only, that's, you're good. Whether you fell down or not, you're safe. So they're going to have the Coloss bury the dead and the ones, uh, it says the, the mist, the ones that the mists attacked but didn't kill would be sick and cramped for several days, perhaps longer. And if the usual percentage is held, then nearly a thousand of the villagers would fall into that category. So they're going to have the Coloss carry those. But yeah, I can see why Ellen and Vin would both feel bad about this. Not that they had much choice, but like they say, it's better than a slow death back in the village. So, Oh, and this is where she kind of wanders off and is hanging out with uh, this Coloss. And his first line, he's like, don't look at me. <laughs> you don't think I'm human. And she's like, well, that's because you aren't human. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to be human. We're going to kill you and take your cities, and then we will be human. So... And she said that this is a common theme among the Coloss. So, yeah, it wasn't just uh, the one Ellen met last time. This is all the Coloss kind of feel this way. But it's my favorite bit where she's like, what's your name? And he thinks for a minute and he's like, human. And she's like, okay, I I get that that's what you want to be human. I understand. But what's your name? He's like, no, that's my name. You call me human. Human, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And they have what is a very strange conversation, I feel like. Is aside from his whole human thing, she's like, so, uh, hey, you know, how uh, how old are you? He's like, don't you see my bigness? I'm bigger than some, smaller than some, but not very many. That means I'm old. And we did find out in the last book that it's like, that's how it works. They grow until they die because their heart gives out or whatever. <laughs> and then he's like, I hate you. I want to kill you, but I can't kill you. It's like, nope, you sure can't. <laughs> well, yeah, she she mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, yeah, they're fighting against my control, but even when I'm asleep, they can't break it. I'm like, That's interesting. I don't mm. know, I think we might have covered that a bit before, but because I think that was one of the questions we had at the end of the second book when she took control. And it was like, how do they not yeah. click it off when she's in that coma? Because she wasn't burning metal or anything. So we were talking about, like, how is she still, like. But apparently it's like a one and done thing where they're under your control, then you got them unless somebody takes them. Unless someone takes them, yeah. So I guess, yeah, that's. I'm a bit curious to see 
if there's any more tricks to that that we haven't quite figured out yet because the um the tri- the tip left by the lord ruler on that little plaque was you get heaps of people to push on them at once and that and that'll put them under your control so does that mean like if one of those people dies like does everyone else still have control mm. over the coloss or what if the people who control them start arguing about what to do with them or yeah that's a good question does like you know do you need everybody to push to break through but then one guy gets the actual control or does everybody get a few of them yeah who knows yeah she tries to ask him about girl coloss to figure out you know their reproduction and he's like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and she's like okay let's try something else are there baby coloss it's like what what, what the fuck's a baby you know <laughs> coloss and he's like well there's one five foot tall over there and she's like no it's smaller than that and he's like no that's you don't, we don't get smaller than that. So apparently they start out at five feet tall, according to human. Which, you know, if they do reproduce and somebody has to push out a five foot tall thing, that uh, <laughs> doesn't sound great. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, fine. So where do new Coloss come from? And he's like, from us. And she's like, that's not helpful. But he's done talking. And I like she jumps to, huh, maybe they bud off each other. Which, that's... <laughs> That's a picture. He's also a terrifying thought. Yeah. Maybe they lay eggs or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big five foot tall eggs. Big five foot tall eggs. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> oh, imagine the omelets. Oh my gosh. But they make it back to uh, to Ellen's army, and Damu is there to greet them. General Damu now. He's moving up in the world. Yep. She talks about, man, this used to be a really skinny dude who was, like, terrified of holding a sword. Yeah. Now he's, like, this grizzled uh, veteran with, like, a piece of his scalp missing from where a Kolos sword nearly took his head. And, like, a scar on his cheek. He's he's a badass now. <laughs> In this book, the part of clubs will be played by Damu. Yeah, well, he's a little more cheery than clubs, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's not hard. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fucking human is probably more cheery than clubs. <laughs> I don't know that. There's an interaction that we that we missed out on. Human and clubs hanging Call out. Call me human. New sitcom coming to NBC this fall. Human and clubs playing right at, right after the Venture Brothers TV show. Yeah, exactly. It's the spinoff season. Oh. The crossover event of the season: clubs and human with the Venture Brothers. <laughs> uh. I, I like Ellen and Damu joking back and forth where he's like, oh, man, you got a bunch of Coloss. That's pretty cool. Hope the Inquisitor wasn't too sad. And Ellen's like, yeah, well, probably didn't bother him too much since he was dead at the time. Uh, uh, yeah. I got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I killed a guy. How funny. <laughs> yeah, we had a Coloss pulverize his head. It was wicked. And then we cut him open to look for Adium, which I guess we never found out if they found any. Yeah, I, I don't think they so. Would have mentioned if they had, they probably would have. For yeah. sure. She's like, let's check his stomach. Ellen's like, uh, okay. But then we find out that the Church of the Survivor has got like a symbol now, and it is a spear. Yeah, I felt like this was a real dig at Christianity. <laughs> it's kind of funny because he talks about that in the annotations. Hold on, let me let me go to that because he, he's like, so I'm not trying overtly to duplicate Christianity here with the spear becoming the symbol of the Church of the Survivor, like the cross for Christians. It just seems a very natural symbol, and I do very much like playing with the idea of how religions grow and change from a loose set of belief is into an organized theology. So he recognized that, but he's like, I think it makes sense. It was going from more of a spear of destiny rather than the cross thing. Hmm. Yeah, well, I would have thought that 
if he didn't specifically make mention in the book that they thought it was kind of, that Ellen thought it was kind of strange that the object with which he was killed would be what they would yeah, uh, that's what they point. would use. Yeah, that's Vin because she's like that's what she yeah, thinks. She's like it's yeah, weird Vin, that sorry. the thing that killed him is what the symbol is, and then she thinks. But maybe it's actually not that. Maybe it's the spear that I killed the Lord Ruler with. She's never like been brave enough to ask this question. Yeah. She's like, that would be even worse. So I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I haven't read this religion's Bible. <laughs> I wonder if they have one. It's not like Kelsier wrote any any, any holy books down for them. So yeah, it no. sounds like it's all an oral tradition so far. <laughs> maybe picturing. Maybe, there's gonna be uh, like a book of Demu in the future. Mm, yeah the book of demu the book of vin did anybody betray them the book of tenson (laughs) (laughs) there's a bit in um disenchantment uh where they're attending a religious ceremony and and uh, the king's advisor is sitting in the back just going yes this religion's still in its early stages okay (laughs) i am are the later seasons good i couldn't get through the first season I liked I liked the um the later seasons, but I also liked the first season. I didn't dislike it as much as most people seem to. Um, yeah. It def- that definitely got better in the last two episodes when the story actually came into it. Okay. Um, Maybe I'll I'll stick it out then. I've been having trouble. The last episode I watched was the one where they send her to a nunnery for a hot second, and then she comes back and becomes an executioner. That one was pretty funny. Plus, it had the that guy was from good. Uh, it had the guy from Bake Off, Great British Bake Off. He was a guest star on that episode so i thought that was funny <laughs> nice noel i think I, his name is oh, oh yeah, no yes yeah, he was he about. was the main executioner he, yeah, he becomes the a main semi-regular he becomes a semi-regular oh really awesome i think yeah. i only made it through like four episodes of that show i had to go back and look at the the list of episodes just now but i think castle party massacre is the last one i watched oh with the land vikings yeah <laughs> And then I just it's not that I didn't like it. I just didn't like it enough to keep going at that point. It's definitely it not as good as Futurama. Yeah. And that's what I was wanting. Right. I was like, ooh, it's going to be like Dungeons and Dragons style, but Futurama. But it wasn't. Do you mean like Bender's yeah. Game? Yeah. Bender's Game's a little different, though. Uh, so that's what they need is a robot from the future to come into the show. <laughs> they need just, a robot just shout obscenities and is sing about de- his own name the devil thing is for i guess he's not quite as funny to me and they don't use him i feel like enough at least not in the episodes i watched uh okay sorry back to the back to the Wait, thing that we're talking one, about one more b-e-n-d-e-r bender okay, <laughs> yeah, let's just mute, mute that channel it's all good Aww. That's what Hermes did to him. Oh, that's Ellen, true. Ellen is going to send some soldiers with Fatrin and his people to head back to Luthadel to start farming. And he's like, but you can tell your men that if any of them wants to join the army, we're, we're recruiting. And Fatrin's like, well why, don't, well, why don't you just force them? You've done, you forced us to do everything else that you wanted. He's like, well, yeah, but army's different. I don't want somebody fighting who doesn't want to be here because they won't fight well. Which, yeah. That's, I I. I I can't get a beat on Fatrin. I can't tell if he likes Ellen or if he hates him <laughs> or if he's thankful or it's almost like he forgets what Ellen told him in the previous chapter every time that Ellen has a new conversation with him. <laughs> it's like, hey, remember that stuff I said before and you started to trust me? 
oh no, I don't remember any of that, so I'm just gonna be like, you, you're just here to rule us. Like I don't, I, don't, I can't, well, I can't figure him out. To be fair, he's pretty polite about like he's like, yeah. my lord, pardon me, but why wouldn't you just force them? Yeah, I guess. He's more respectful now, by far, than at the beginning. Well, yeah, and his brother, who we haven't heard from since. Yeah, we haven't seen. Uh, yeah, we, we haven't seen mushroom in a while. Bag. Yeah. Was it McDuff? Truffle. <laughs> it, it was. I think it was Truffle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like McDuff better. Uh, <laughs> and it, in case you're in case you're interested, there is an annotation that says, as a side note, this is the last we see of Fatron. Spoilers. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. I thought they were shaping him up to become the main villain. Yeah. <laughs> he leads like a coup. He's ruined the whole time. Just yeah. Like a, meat, a meat puppet. <laughs> oh, man, that would be too much. Too much. <laughs> uh, but we uh, we find out Sage and Breeze are due back this evening. And Ellen's like, that's good. I'm going to go take a nap now. And Tammy's like, wait, wait, did, did we find where the cash, the final cash is? And Ellen's like, oh, yeah, it's in Fadrex. And Damien's like, oh, my gosh. Set's going to love that. So heads up, we're still going to have to deal with Set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we still have to deal with Arian. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's just imperative that we have to deal with both of them. So he's like, Demu, set up a meeting for this evening. We got stuff to talk about. And Demu's like, well, should I tell everyone what the meeting is about? And Ellen's like, the same thing we do every night, Demu. <laughs> Try to take over the world. <laughs> He's Erland, like also Demu. and the dem 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 dem. It's <laughs> <laughs> also demo. We're gonna need a grease man. <laughs> Who would be the grease man for this crew? You think we need one more? You think, think we, we need, need one, one more? Okay, we got one more. Oh gosh. Okay, that was that chapter. <laughs> then the next one, uh, we got another another epigraph where we find out that Alamancy was indeed born with the mists. Or at least it began at the same time the mists first appeared. Guys, the nose will work, okay? <laughs> the nose plays. The nose plays. And it, there's an interesting note in here where it's like, Rashag became aware of a lot of things when he took the power. Some of that was, like, instinctive that he learned as part of the power, but some of it was whispered to him by Ruin. It's like, hey, you gotta give all this up. This is the stuff you gotta give up. And Rashag's like, I'm not gonna give that up. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, this, this is just an interesting thing in that I guess I kind of assumed once we found out where Mistborns came from, from that bead of metal in mm. the well, that was where, like, Mistings would just be, the, you know, their progeny and their generations down the line. This would indicate it's the other way around. Allomancy came first, but then uh-huh. Mistborns came after that. Mm, indeed. So that, yeah, that threw out my perception on a few things. It forced you to wonder exactly, hmm. But like now we know because I uh, yeah I assume the nuggets was that's where Mistborn come from that's where Alamancy comes from easy solved nope Mistborns uh, Alamances came first Mistings were still were already a thing before Mistborns were which they they did okay. say though that the Alamancy was granted like the Lord Ruler granted Alamancy mm-hmm. so why would he he wanted to grant power to those who were supportive of him why would he only grant the ability to do one power or something if he's already got the power from the well at that point. I Why? assume that was the same reason he would like Marsh has made a point that like he held back on some of the on some of the Inquisitors' powers, and I assume that's just another way of controlling people. It's like yeah, you've got a power, but you don't have all the power. Well, we know hmm. the the mist. It says that they appeared at the same time the mists first appeared, and we know that those were around well before 
they climbed to, up to the Well of Ascension and took the power, because that's the whole reason they were going there, was because the mists were covering the land, and it was the deepness, and blah, blah, blah. So, there were mistings around, or, I mean, I get maybe even Mistborn, for all we know from this. Because we don't know how long before, like, if that, if the mists first showed up, and that was the deepness, and they immediately started, like, destroying the world, or if they were already around before that, we don't really know much about that end of it. Well... They're called Mistborn, right? This is something we talked yeah. about from the inception of the book. Mm-hmm. So my guess is when the deepness came, that's that's when maybe these people first came about, mistings, what have you. And when we get to the next epigraph, I'll kind of expound on what I what I think they may be getting at, because the next epigraph kind of gives us even more information about the where Allomancy comes from, so... Okay, fair enough. Uh, but one of the things it says that the Lord Ruler learned, or that Rashek learned when he took the power, was he got an instinctive knowledge of the three metallic arts. For instance, he knew that these nuggets would make people misborn when they ingested them. They were, after all, a fraction of the very power in the well itself. So something about the power in the well and the power in these pieces of metal is part of the same thing. Hmm. Okay, then we cut to uh, to ten soon. He's 700 years old, and uh, he's been to the Trustworn before. But by the time he was born, the first generation had already given over the raising of new Chondra to the second generation. So the firsts didn't uh, stay involved very long, apparently. Yeah, I'm, I really like, if we don't get as much information as I want from this book about the Chondra, I really wish, if he hasn't, that Brandon would just write a book about like the history of the Chondra, because it's so interesting to me mm-hmm. like these the way they've separated themselves into generations and then what we find out about how like literally what we were joking about like mist wraiths basically being picked and graduating into being chondra mm-hmm. it's just such an interesting idea to me so i just i really want to know like how the intricacies of how their society works and how they manifest their evolution and stuff Mm. Yeah, and this whole generational thing is really interesting because it's the first, I guess, created the seconds, and we we have no idea where the firsts came from except that the Lord Ruler supposedly made them right. So, and uh, then the seconds raised the thirds, but apparently the thirds are kind of a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, and I mean from the way they're talking in the book, it sounds like the seconds created all of the generations after. Yeah, it does seem kind of that way. Like the seconds are in charge. More or less. They mistake. They make a point there that um, that without the Lord Ruler, they can't create any more generations. Yep. So it's still got to be something to do with it, and something to do with him and what and his part to play in all that. Yeah, and I mean, even in the last sections that we read, Tensun was like, "I don't think there's going to be like a twelfth generation because the Lord Ruler's gone." It's just that uh, Tensun used to be the least troublesome of the thirds, so it's ironic that he's the one who ends up on trial for the most heinous of crimes. The Trustworn is a big circular room with metal walls and a platform with a massive steel disc set in a rock floor. Lamps made of glowing stone enclosed in blue glass. It's kind of an interesting uh, picture. So every, uh, all the light is blue. Getting a real vibe of... Do you guys ever see that sci-fi movie Dark City from the late 90s? No, I don't think so. Mm-mm. It's like a it explored a lot of the ideas that the Matrix did before the Matrix made it popular. 
but it also had its own like sort of weird council meeting of dark really weird looking figures and i got a serious vibe out of that from this oh yeah i just searched that and one of the first images that comes up on google image search i see exactly what you're talking about yeah excellent movie by the way everyone should watch that Hmm. what's it called dark Dark. city dark city okay so you have very young keeper sutherland's in it william hurt jennifer connelly Hmm. what a cast 1998 is that before the matrix when the matrix when was that Matrix is 99. Okay, so that was like very close before the Matrix. It was like gotcha. the year after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really? I think the main the main villain of the movie is um, Richard O'Brien from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Never seen Rocky Horror. You have to watch that. I keep meaning to. I've just never, it's never, the chance has never popped up for me. Or uh, just, I care, I forget what it does. Yeah. Well, I forget. Are you like a musical theater guy? Do you like watching stuff like that? Who, me? Yeah, you. I like musicals. When the music's good, like my wife dragged me to the Pitch Perfect movies because she loved Pitch Perfect. And I don't <laughs> like most of the stuff about those movies, but the music's pretty good. I like acapella. It's a uh, sure. It's a fun genre of music. OK, sorry. Random movie <laughs> side talk. <again. laughs> I'll, I'll add Dark City to the list of things to watch at some point. I'll see if it's streaming somewhere. Yeah, just make sure you get like the director's cut and not the regular because the regular theatrical cut has a. Uh, voiceover narration added that just completely ruins the mystery oh, weird they blade runnered like it blade runner they blade, yeah. say, yep, blade runner there you go that one i hadn't seen for the longest time we we finally my wife and i bought it and watched it after the second blade runner came out on dvd because we're like somebody gave us the second one on dvd and we're like oh we have to watch the first one before you can watch the second one obviously what cut Bet. did you watch uh, the, I don't remember if it was the director's cut or ultimate cut. I don't honestly don't remember. Well, the final cut is like the actual Ridley Scott cut. The director's cut was actually not made by Ridley Scott. <laughs> that's that's a misnomer. Yeah. So basically, the director's cut was was made by a company. So like fans went through and made a cut of the film that was extremely popular. And then the the production company that I guess owned the rights to the film basically cut the film that way themselves and released it as the director's cut. And Ridley right. Scott was like, that's not the cut I, I want. <laughs> and so much later, he made the final cut. I actually like the director's cut more than the final cut. Interesting. I'm a huge original Blade Runner fan, though. Like Part of the reason – we're getting off topic here. Part of the reason I love <laughs> Cyberpunk so much is because it's got a very Blade Runner vibe to it. We actually, uh, neither of us loved it. We didn't end up watching the second one after the first one. We were like, eh. So I've never actually watched the second one. <laughs> Even though that was the entire reason we bought the first one. <laughs> second one I liked too, but I liked the first one a lot better. I remember, I, I like Googled to be like, which version do people recommend most? And then we watched that one. I don't remember which one it was offhand. <laughs> Pro, I would guess that most people would have said the final cut because that's Ridley Scott's like cut of the film. Uh, okay, sorry. Back to the thingy. There, are, there's 20 second generations. We find out, and they're all sitting there staring at him. And I, it kind of reminds me of the Council of Robot Elders because we even find out later that there's the one like <laughs> stupid one. Quiet, Jimmy. <laughs> it's practically that exact scene where the guy's like, Duh, "But we wouldn't do that." He's like, "Shut up, you." <laughs> but Tenzin's like, oh my gosh, I'm standing on the trust. This is so cool. And uh, Khan Parr of the second generation is like the one doing all the talking. And 
they're like, hey, you're going to insist on you're going to insist on this trial, huh? You sure you want to do that? And Tense is like, yeah, that's the whole point of the, what we've been doing. And so they pop open the doors and everybody starts coming in. I just love the little note where Tensor sizes him up and has gone, those bones are really, really pretty, but they're not going to stand up in a fight. That's true. Yeah. Because yeah. the uh, the seconds apparently like to have, uh, what was it, crystal bones? Yeah. So it's like, it's very pretty, but they're going to break easy. Yeah. And I have to beat you up. I don't think they actually get out very much. Too busy trying to run it all. <laughs> yeah, I think he said that, like, most of the seconds haven't been outside in, like, hundreds and hundreds of years. So, mm. yeah. I think he said even he was one of the last thirds to come home. Most of the others have already returned and are retired. Yeah. And we get one bit here where Tenson's, he's like, he was hoping Malon wouldn't show up, but she was one of the first ones in and she sits down looking worried about him. And he's like, he should have recognized her. She had a new true body, an eccentric one with bones made of wood and a wooden skull. The younger generations are always pushing the boundaries of propriety. He's one to talk. (laughs) I like that one of them has four arms. One of the seventh generation. So that's the kind of thing I would do. I'm like, why are you all just doing this normal human stuff? Look, I got like three legs and four arms is great. <laughs> just, you're, you're just that one candor that looks like Dr. Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be Dr. Octopus, right? That would be awesome. But there's something I want to read here because uh, it's some interesting backstory that there's no other way for us to get. So, oh, but before that, one of the things in the annotations that may help you guys kind of place all this. He's saying that the Conjure chapters in this book aren't staggered quite as much as he might have liked, but he prefers in his books that one chapter happens after the the chapter before it, chronologically. So all the Tenswin trial chapters take place in one day. So he couldn't split them up a whole lot through the book because he didn't want to like jump forward in time a week to Vin's chapter, and then jump back in time a week, back to Tensun's tr- chapter. So, uh, so even when they're jumping around chapters, it's all chronological. It's more or less. At the same time. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Although, so that's something to keep in mind as we move forward, because we're going to jump around a lot. He tries to keep them more or less chronological. Bad. But, backstory. About Melon. He says, it's never fully explained who Melon is, so I'm going to give you the background here. One of the things that Conjure do is take contracts to serve mankind, However, there are other jobs that Conjure can do back in the homeland, and one of the most prestigious ones includes training and instructing child Conjure. This can take years and years as Conjure grow very slowly. Tensun was appointed a quote-unquote parent of one single Conjure during his lifetime. Many of the fifth generation have been parents dozens of times, but the thirds are a rebellious group, and it was only after much consideration and political pressure that the thirds were given any chances at all. Melon, then, is kind of Tensun's adopted daughter. She has something of a hero worship crush on him, inspired by his gruff style and adventuresome personality. Her idolizing of him borders on a romantic crush, and this makes Tensun somewhat uncomfortable. There you go. Now you can astound your friends with Mistborn background trivia. Yeah, I was I was hoping that we would get more in-book information about her, so that's kind of sad that that's all we get. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't seem like anything that he probably couldn't have worked into. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I, there's there's no one around that doesn't know it, so I guess it would have just been a bunch of information that Tensun said. She shows I up guess. a couple more times, at least, if I remember right, but you never get, like, the background of their relationship. Right, so later on in the book, Tensun's out for whatever reason. He's palling around with Vin and all the rest, and then 
he and Breeze sit down and commiserate the fact they both have younger girls who have crushes on them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. So let's let's have a good let's have a conversation. Let's be friends, Breeze. I think the only time we, we I don't know that we've ever seen him interact with Breeze. He he makes sarcastic comments to Vin about eating Breeze. Yeah, no. Well, he he never really interacted with the others at all because Vin kept him thinking, no, he's just my dog. Oh yeah, I guess she never kind of revealed that except to Ellen. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like when Doxon dies, the last thing that goes through his head is like, why did Vin get a dog? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so they're uh, they're starting the trial, and Tenson's like, oh yeah, they're this guy, he's loving this. He finally gets to prove that all the third generation is just miscreants, since even the most quote-unquote temperate of the thirds is a danger. And then he looks at everybody, and he's like, man, all these people are in for a surprise. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> And yeah, I guess he did have some surprising stuff for uh, to say to them. We're going to get to that here in a, in a bit. So here is the, the epigraph that Joe wanted to say something about. But I also had something I told Dak two episodes ago. Remember your theory, because I'm going to have something relevant to say when we get to this point. The crazy theory of Vin's mum slipping her the bead. So it says, nuggets of pure allomancy, the power of preservation itself. Why Roshek left one of those nuggets at the Well of Ascension, I do not know. And then he theorizes about different reasons Roshek might have left it there. Uh, but I blessed him for his oversight, for without that nugget, Ellen would have died that day at the well. So this is an interesting example showing us that the person writing the epigraphs doesn't know everything, or at least not as much as they think they know. Because Roshek did not leave one nugget at the Well of Ascension. He left two. And uh, Wait, the, why are you telling us this? It's just a fun background fact. Okay. That I also said I would, uh, that I was going to provide, but also to give uh, Dak uh, some credence for his theory. Oh, I see. So you're trying to make us sniff down the wrong trail. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I was I was already planning on uh, sharing that because it'll, uh, it's it's an interesting look at. Well, it this makes sense, person. right? Because they say there's some other broken pottery next to that one. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It was kind of like in a pile of broken pottery, if I remember mm. right. All right. So, yeah, that's interesting. Although I'd also be interested to know if Vin really did, really was the one that got that bead, was why is Ellen stronger than her? So mm. then my question is, is somebody who maybe she is just a closer descendant of the person that ate the bead than Ellen? Since Ellen is the primary person who ate the bead, maybe somebody she's related to ate the other bead. And she's just closer in genealogy to that person, so she's slightly, she's more, she's stronger than normal Mistborns, but not as strong as Ellen. Hmm. Interesting. Possible. It's possible, I guess. Oh, I was also going to mention, because I don't think it's actually ever stated anywhere in any of the materials so far, it's just something Brandon has told people uh, who have asked. The metal, the the bead that he ate, it is called Lorassium. I don't think they ever give us the name in the books, but that's what it's called. Lorassium, like lore? No, L-E-R-A-S-I-U-M. I was about to say, it's going to be really cheesy if it's like L-O-R-E. Lorassium. <laughs> it's like unobtainium. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, about this epigraph, we get the information. The power of preservation itself. Nuggets of pure allomancy. Okay. So I'm going to try to tie this together. And I talked about this a little bit at the end of the second book. Um, my thoughts on it. So this allomancy, 
I don't know. The way that it's been described to us so far, preservation and ruin almost sound like it's like a yin-yang thing. They're two parts of like maybe a whole. You know, some people are ruin, some people are preservation, whatever. But I'm assuming Sazed, especially since this one specifically makes mention of Elland, and that might have been our only other culprit for who's writing these epigraphs. Assuming Sazed is writing this saying that this pure allomancy is the power of preservation itself. And then I'm just going to go back to what we've been talking about since the first book. It's like these people are called Mistborn, mm-hmm. born of the mist. There's a mist creature that talks, tries to communicate with them. Preservation. Maybe he is not only the creator, progenitor, or whatever you want to say of Alamancy, the he's also the mist. Uh, that's, a, that's a part of his... What what would you say? Uh, it's part of the makeup of who he is and how he manifests him or herself, whatever, on this planet. It says okay. mist. Okay. Okay. So stick with me. So, but then we're saying, well, the deepness is bad. It covers the land. It kills crops. Well, and whatever. it kills people now. Yeah. Yeah, and it kills people. Well, I mean, what did? The mist monster killed the mist creature tried to kill Ellen so yep. that Vin would give him the bead. Or sorry, I guess so she would take the power to cure him at first, but then when right. that didn't yep. work, maybe it was like, Oh, take that bead, you he'll survive. It did point out the bead to her, yeah. Right. So it's working if that is preservation, it's working against ruin. A push, a pull, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to just say that it's a yin-yang thing, because I don't really know how else to describe their relationship. So, what if preservation... If preservation is that creature, then it is the mist, and the mist is killing people. What if the mist is not trying to kill them? What if it's trying to create more alamancers? What if it's trying to snap them? And by trying to make them snap, it ends up killing some people by accident. Oh, we do know that snapping is a process that can be uh, unpleasant and painful, so... Yeah. Mm, okay. So if it wants... If it is... If preservation is missed and allomancy and all that stuff, it, it's, it seems like the allomantic stuff is how they fight against... How preservation is trying to fight against ruin. Hmm. And ruin may be the source of... Maybe, maybe ruin's the source of hemallergy, just as preservation is the source of... Alamancy. Okay. Um, yeah. What's I mean? What's the third alamantic ferrochemy? So I don't know how ferrochemy comes into it. I don't. I don't know if that's from one or the other, or if it's from humanity. I don't know that part. Well, Ruin sure does have his inquisitors shoving spikes in a lot of people. So yeah, uh, and they're getting ferrochemical powers. At least that's what I'm presupposing from the from the inquisitors uh, getting made, getting new spikes um, shoved through Terrasmen. So yeah. So if that's if that's all part of the hemallergy process, Ruin's definitely l- using it a lot. So maybe it makes sense yeah. for that to be if if and it's yeah okay. So it says that alamancy nuggets of pure alamancy, the power of preservation. So that does make it sound like alamancy comes from preservation, right? It's the power of preservation. It says so mm-hmm. maybe then Ruin has his own. That makes sense, yeah. And then it would make sense for them to be called Mistborn if originally the mist snapped people and made them stronger. Hmm. So I think that's what I, I'm reading these epigraphs. I'm, that's where I'm. Go- I'm trying to take a lot of notes this this book. I didn't take notes in either of the last two books, but I feel like maybe that's where these epigraphs are pointing us towards. 
That's interesting. So we've we've re- uh, read earlier. So the ruin is basically the power that came out of the well. Yeah. But didn't they say that the nuggets were a part of ruin itself? Uh, well, they said it came out of the well, which I thought, which was confusing to me too, because then right here, the epigraph writer says that the nuggets are pure preservation power. Yeah. Okay. So if they are, that's why I thought maybe the relationship was like a yin and yang thing, like they both come from the well, and maybe thought, preservation was released, which is why the mists already exist on the planet, and ruin was still trapped in the well. Maybe they both came out of the well, though. Okay. Hmm, so yeah, okay, hold on. So now I'm trying to find the other. It was actually tying into something I was going to bring up later, but since we're on the topic, yeah, no, I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. Um, I've sort of had the idea that maybe preservation is the deepness, and it's actually not the malicious force everyone expects it to be. Um, right. And yeah, it's basically by turning people into mistborns. Like Tensoon said that humans were of ruin. So if the deepness turns them into mistings and mistborn, uh, then they're no longer of ruin, they're of preservation. And so that's what it's trying to do. Mm, yeah. So it's basically trying to turn ruin's army against it. Right. And then the well is where maybe all of these powers come from, like preservation and ruin. If they were a true, if their relationship is yin and yang, maybe they were both in the well pushing, pulling on each other. And now... Like at some point, somebody or something released preservation from the well, and then you know they go to the well to try to stop this mist because they don't understand it, and then they end up not releasing the other power. Rashek takes it for himself, but then now finally this other power has been released. So now you've got these two powers that have been released, maybe from the same place. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, we know. I'm trying to wrap my head around what all we have down. We know that Rashek took the power and used the power, and it didn't let out whatever what ruined, because that's what we eventually determines escapes when Vin doesn't use the power for herself, right? So yeah. you can take the power that comes to the well every thousand years, and if you use it, you don't let ruin out. So ruin tricks someone, Vin, into taking the power and letting it go, and then ruin's like, I'm free! So... Is the power that you're using, is that ruin power? Or is... Hmm. It's sort of hard to say because Rashek, Rashek created the Khandra. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they look up to him as their father. And they are explicitly creatures of preservation. So that would suggest he's using the power of preservation that was in the well. Yeah, um, like maybe the knowledge of both powers is in there. And like that knowledge... But, but Rashek... Because it says... Because the epigraph writer says that that his knowledge wasn't complete, right? It's like he knows how to do things, but he doesn't know how those things affect other things. Yeah. yeah. So maybe if, like, if what I'm thinking, preservation had somehow been released, really what was left in the well was Ruin's power, and then the remnants of preservation's power, but it's not a complete knowledge or power because it's just remnants it's not actually the complete knowledge so well, i don't i don't know but you're also thinking that the mists or the mist spirit or the mist spirit and the mists are also part of preservation right so some yeah. of it was in the well i guess but some of it is not right um, i mean if russia can take power out and ruin is still in the well 
Yeah. Then that that leads me to think like the power or the knowledge of said power and and then giving some of that power is not like when you take it, you're not taking ruin. Maybe you're taking mm. a piece of him. So if a piece can be taken out while the thing is still inside, could a piece of the other one be left behind when it le- after it leaves? Mm. Okay. I don't know. And we we know from the last from the last epigraph before this that it says the nuggets are a fraction of the same power that's in the well, and then in this epigraph it says the nuggets are the power of preservation. Right. So, okay. Okay. So if there's power left in the well, and they're saying that that was alamancy, but then also these nuggets are preservation, then that has to be preservation's power. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. I, I sort of read it as um the power of preservation is keeping the power of ruin trapped in the well. Yeah, that could uh, be it too. Okay. So, um, yeah, so like, yeah, I think preservation has been released and that is the deepness doing all it does over the world. And maybe, right. maybe too much of it, too much of it is a bad thing for the world. But yeah, the fact that the a couple of things spring to mind, it mentions that Rashek didn't use all the power, which is why he was the sliver of infinity. So he only used a small portion of it anyway. Yeah. And just from... I went back over the other epigraphs and the one where it talks about how he moved the planet to make the excess heat from the sun burn the mist away. And then that didn't work. Makes me think, did he ever actually try and use the power to attack the mist directly? Or was Mm. he just like trying to do everything and hoping indirectly the mist would be affected by it? So that sort of says to me, is he using the power of preservation to, um, to get rid of the deepness preservation? Mm. Um, mm. maybe yeah maybe like he's like i can't use the same power against it so i've got to try and find some other way to get rid of it yeah hmm. yeah maybe it couldn't get rid of its own power or it it could even be so now, now you got me if your yin and yang like theory has me thinking so it's like maybe there are these powers that like can't touch like you know opposite polarized magnets so if if ruin is shoved down deep in this well and then you put like some preservation power on top of that it can't get out through the power but then if you Mm -hmm. if you take that power and like let it go throw it out then it's like oh hey now that thing that was blocking me is gone Hmm. yeah that's a good point too Mm. like maybe yeah what you're saying like it's pushing so hard on the other power or entity that it can't move so actually when you grasp the power out of the well you're actually just grasping preservation but i still think you must be getting a knowledge of ruin in to some extent because i mean we're using words to describe these things because these are the words given to us but right. like to create ash mounts that doesn't seem like a preservation type of power mm. so i don't know well, and that that one did that one epigraph did say that some of the knowledge that mm-hmm. rashik got was whispered to him by ruins oh so. that's true that's true yeah i didn't think about that Hmm. Okay. This is you, you. You've you've kind of come up with a really deep theory that I'm still having trouble wrapping my whole brain around here. But I like this. This is kind of cool. Yeah, I think this these epigraphs. I mean, if we'd been paying more attention in the second book, which is why I was determined to take notes this book. <laughs> if we'd been paying more attention to the epigraphs in the second book, we may have grasped some of the later stuff earlier. So I'm really like I am paying more attention to these epigraphs than I've paid attention to any of the epigraphs <laughs> before. <laughs> Well, these I are literally really informative epigraphs down. too. Yeah, and I'm literally, I've literally, so I'm taking notes this round. But not only am I taking notes, I, when I when we get to an epigraph, I literally write it down word for word, oh. just so that I'm literally like keeping it on paper, so that if I need to go and reference it later, I'll have it. 
like I just take notes on the chapters, but when we get to an epigraph, I literally just write it down verbatim. Hmm, that's pretty cool. I was I I almost said, hey, there's a place online where they just have all the epigraphs and you can reference, but no, no. Future that is a terrible yeah. idea. That's a terrible, <laughs> terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> okay, okay. I like this that how how deep we're thinking here, and it's is that a pun? No, it was not. But now now <laughs> it sounds like one. So wait, what's the pun? I'm too drunk. The to deepness. Understand. Oh, now I got it. How deep yeah. we were thinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, I, I like where this is going. This is kind of weird. And and that's one of the things about this book, this one in particular, is that there's so there's this very like there's this meta stuff happening even more so than in the previous two with these these weird powers that we're we only vaguely are even aware of at this point. And so there's a lot to try to take in because this is it's kind of on a whole different level from what we dealt with in the first two books. Yeah, I mean, we we were just dealing with a street rat on a heist mission in the first one, and now it's like, you know, <laughs> the power of God, the whole world yeah. is, is ending or, or whatever. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, by the way, that Lord Ruler guy at one point had the power to move the planet around. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, geez. Yeah, and not only that, he did it like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, what if I put it over here, lol? <laughs> he like he like posts something to twitter it's like move the planet now it's too hot lol <laughs> might make some volcanoes today who knows yeah i hope you guys can uh survive in ash if not i'll just change your genetics <laughs> uh, okay okay so back to now that we've gotten real uh real theoretical and given people a little yeah i probably should have that for the end huh? i was about oh, to say well. joe's not gonna have much left for predigments we're gonna get there and no like, I, I i'm my, spent my wad. yep <laughs> yeah. but now let's go chapter 10 says is reviewing another religion L- larsdayism which is all about art it reminds me of the one that he preaches to clubs actually which was also very like art centric I was yeah, I couldn't out. remember if they were the same name or if they were just very similar because that was like Woodcraft. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't believe they're the same name. I think I used to think they were the same, and then somebody set me straight on that. But yeah, he's like uh, Kelsier's wife had converted to this religion, and that's kind. Of, I, I think it may even be that's where she got her picture of the flower. I don't remember if it says that or not, but I feel like that's a thing. But Says is like, uh, I don't know. It's hard for him to dismiss this religion because of it doesn't have that much in terms of dogma, I guess is the right word. Doesn't have yeah, enough to contradict itself. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's a religion more about what you can create rather than teachings and yeah, dogma, like you were saying. So it's I think like, it's pretty well, nice. Yeah. Well, he's just like, man, artists and craftsmen really do objectively good stuff for the world, so I can't really shoot this one down. Yeah, but he finds a way. <laughs> he, he, spoiler he does eventually find a way yeah yeah, yeah. we're not there which i mean i kind of agree with him uh, a religion based solely around like supporting craftsmen and doesn't really have anything to say about like death or moving on or spirit it's just kind of like well, well i mean it's it's nice but what's the point well i mean not that we know of but like there's a whole there's a whole lot of things these days people say you know for People who right. write books or make movies or whatnot, that is their legacy. After they die, they live on through their art. Yeah. So. No, yeah, that's a good point. Even um, even at the dawn of Christianity, Jews didn't have, like, an idea of of going to heaven. It was like they lived through their male offspring. Like, their legacy went on through them, not necessarily 
there wasn't necessarily like a heaven that they believed that they went to. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. But at the same time, like I see where he's coming from too, because he's, he's desperately trying to fi- figure out he, he needs closure on what happened to tin will. And like what, now that she's gone, where is she? Yeah. Um, and he's desperately looking for that. And this religion doesn't provide it. So he just crosses it off his crosses it off his list. Cause he's like, well, it doesn't make any sense. Like it can't just be this. That's uh, that's not that's not the truth. Yeah, it, it's it's not enough truth for him at least. Right. So, and I like that we get into this conversation where Breeze is talking about like the color scheme of the world and it, looking down his nose at it, which is just a really fun. Um, it's like all this black ash every day. How boring. Like if you're going to choose a color, why would you choose black? <laughs> I didn't know where he was going. Like. When Says caught on to what he was doing, I was like, oh, that's what he's doing. Because I, I really had no idea where he was going with this. Like, what about red? What about green? Yeah, I, I just like that he's like, Ash is a tad unimaginative. <laughs> he's like, Vin says there's something behind this all, right? Some evil force of doom or whatever. Well, if I was an evil force of doom, then have a little flare. Some red. <laughs> the, the, the rivers would look like they were running with blood if the ash were red. Wouldn't that be cool? It just breezes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty awful, actually. Says <laughs> so, so just like Breeze. Do you need to talk to someone about something? <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Uh, do you have like a spike in your head telling you to kill people? <laughs> no, they. He, he probably did at one point, but then the, it was taken out because the ruin was just like I cannot deal with this guy blathering on about the color of ash for so long. <laughs> Why is this guy constantly drunk? <laughs> The wine is eroding the spike. <laughs> he even goes so far as to they get into like a religious talk. And he's like, you know, the Church of the Spire says that Vin's going to cleanse the sky and uh, get rid of the mists and bring back flowers and stuff. Right. So seems like a suitably feminine thing to do for some reason. <laughs> suitably feminine. Yeah, brave. And then Sace is like, I see what you're doing. You went a little far when you acted like you were actually believing in the the Church of the Survivor stuff. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Man, you caught me. You got me. (laughs) Damn, next time. Next time, Gadget. (laughs) Next time, Gadget. I can't do the voice. Oh, my gosh. I I totally put put on an episode of that show for uh, the kids the other day because they'd never seen it. And it was like – it was an episode – that I don't remember ever seeing where like Dr. Claw kidnaps Santa and pretends to be Santa and takes over the North pole. And it was the weirdest. That sounds pretty amazing. It shows were weird back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when Donatello was talking, but it was a red bandana turtle. And you're like, what's (laughs) happening now? Just animation (laughs) goof ups. Donatello is the best turtle. I'm going to maintain that. In the original cartoon show. I agree. But anyway, Breeze is like, you know what? After six months of Ash, I almost want to believe in, like, green plants and stuff. Because this is just... This isn't fun. I can't blame him when it comes down to that. Whether or not the Ash is imaginative enough, I it, it would get old. Uh, and that's uh, what that's what Breeze kind of... Or not, uh, what says kind of builds off of to uh, get rid of that religion, to mark it off. He's like... Oh, yeah, so the ash and everything, the horribly depressing landscape is unimaginative. So it couldn't have been created by, like, a god who loves art, right? So obviously the teachings of this religion are wrong, contradicted by observed events. 
he's really stretching on uh, some of these, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when uh, some riders show up, and oh, look, it's Arian coming down in her bright pink dress to see. Uh, <laughs> so, see all her. I could picture now at this point was Princess Peach rocking up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does sound kind of like that, yeah. You yeah. love Princess yeah. Peach. I love Princess Peach. But she hates Arian. Not that's in why this it's context. a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, I can't unsee that now. It's so funny because I think they mention even in the chapter, it's like on a normal person, you might be able to see up her dress if she hiked it that high. But she was wearing so many petticoats underneath. And it's just like, (laughs) why? (laughs) Why? Why did she need that many layers? (laughs) I just like when she shows up, she sits there for a second and he's like, "Uh, all right. She's like, no, no, quiet. I'm trying to decide if it's worth getting my dress dirty to scamper over there and hug you. Like, it's probably a line that's meant to be adorable. I was like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. And I she's mean, a princess. Because Cassie's goes princess. Yeah, that's true. She calls herself, yeah, she calls herself princess, I guess, because Seth's calling himself a king. But that begs the question, like, does, do people like the, the Breeze and Arian relationship? Listeners. Do you like their relationship? <laughs> and and keep in mind, we haven't gone all the way through the book, so maybe there's some redeeming qualities that come out in her later. But so far, I mean, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm waiting for, like, later on in the book, it gets to the point where they're trying to soothe some more Coloss, and so Breeze is there, and she rocks up. It's like, I'll help you. They're like, no way, don't. That makes them even angrier, and they get all, they all get killed because of her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you sue or, you them know. to get them on your side but you riot them turns out that just pisses them off uh, could you imagine if you had yeah. a group of alamancers that were soothing or, or rioting the coloss and then they all got some like it, we were talking about earlier if they all got their own sort of can, uh, oh, no. coloss to, oh, to look after no. imagine what she did with hers <laughs> oh my <laughs> god they would be like her personal pack horses and just they don't yeah. deserve that. They want to be human. That's just going the other way. All right. She's like, humans help me carry dresses. Mm. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, why Why are all these Coloss wearing pink? Mm, no. She's going to dress them up. Yeah, no, she's going to make put on clothes. <laughs> oh they're going to have little They're going to have little hats. They like, would love that. Oh, no. This one's they name is Benson. Benson. Oh, no. Benson. <laughs> There's Reginald. Reginald, come here. And that's and that's Wilford. <laughs> Wilford. Eventually, Captain Gordell has to come over and help her get onto Breeze's horse with him. Yeah, Gordell's still alive. Yeah, I was about to ask you if you guys remembered Gordell. Mm. Yeah. He used to be a Lord Ruler's palace guard. Yeah. You know who I miss? Meow meow. Meow meow. <laughs> Is he at this meeting they have later? I don't remember. I don't think we get to the meeting. Oh, do chapters. we not get to the meeting? Okay. No. So maybe maybe he'll show up. Would you rather he and Breeze were together rather than he and rather than Breeze and Orion? Hey, you know. I mean, I it know. might be more interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they could talk I, about each other's butts. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, know how much God. people like to talk about Breeze's butts. <laughs> Let's see. So it's uh, it says notes that they they've never gotten married. <laughs> Breeze has explained that he doesn't want to leave her as a widow when he dies. Something he seemed to assume would happen immediately. And then Says depressingly thinks, well, we're all going to die soon, so. Yeah. Says is real emo in this in this book so far. Yeah. He's going back to his tent, listening to My Chemical Romance. 
He also makes the point that there's no one to, like, make a marriage official at this point because no more obligators and Ellen's government is not really a thing that has that sort of thing in it. Yeah. And we we get a repeat of his, like, I'm not going to teach lies. Not anymore. He can't teach religions again. And we cut to him in his tent. And then Vin shows up unexpectedly while he's trying to shave his head. Because Vin still has not learned to knock. He's like, there's no windows to crawl in here, so she'll just take the door, but she still won't knock. It's a tent, to be fair, so not... I mean, you can still kind of, like, smack it, but you can't really knock. You can say knock-knock. That's true. <laughs> yep. Just imagine saying something, like, who's there? <laughs> <laughs> do you know... Do you know people who say knock-knock in real life when they enter a room? Because those people are the worst. Well, I've, I've done that at work when I walk up to somebody's cubicle and they're not, like, looking my way so they don't know I'm there, but I want to get their attention. I'll be like, knock-knock. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll just wait there until they feel me, That's you know, in their, <laughs> in their peripheral. And then they're like, oh, hey, I can't tell you how many people I've startled at work. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, sorry. Vin, Vin shows up and she's like, he's like, oh, I thought Damu said you were resting. And she's like, Damu knows better than let me sleep through you showing up. Aw. She loves Sazed. And so they talk about, like, him not being a keeper, which, you know, he's shaving his head because that's what the keepers do. And she's just like, he's like, no, I'm not a keeper anymore. And he's like, well, then what else would you be? And he's like, you know, I'm probably just being selfish. And she has to be like, no, you're the most selfless person ever, Sazed. So, and he's like, I feel kind of childish because, like, everybody has lost people, but I'm apparently the only one who can't get over it. I don't know that we've ever seen, like, him actually do any mourning for her. So maybe that's part of it, but... I feel like he's the sort of guy who will just always try and do how, the stuff that he feels he needs to do. He'll do it in private or when uh, you know no one else needs anything of him. As soon as someone else asks him to do something, he's just going to like repress it and go do what they need him to do. So he's never actually going to talk about his own feelings or do what he needs to do personally. He's never going to take his him time. It's probably true. And ever since her death, Ellen and Vin have been needing him. Like, as soon as, like, the very next yeah. day, she was like, Says, I need you to be in charge while I take a nap. And then ever since then, it's just been like, we need you. <laughs> and I love the conversation they get into where he, he's like, no, I'm I'm just weak of will is what it must be. And she's like, that's not true. And he says, I must disagree. And she's like, OK, well, if you're so weak of will, how would you be able to disagree with me? <laughs> burn, burn, Says. It's like, when did you get so good at logic? And she goes, she sighs. And she's like, living with Ellen. If you prefer irrational arguments, don't marry a scholar. Which, <laughs> I like that there's this, like, this whole married life that we haven't really seen anything of so far, where they have this sort of relationship. It's like, you can't be irrational when I'm fighting with Ellen. He's so irrational. Jeez. <laughs> logic, ugh, it's the worst. But the whole don't marry a scholar thing was a slip because immediately says is depressed and thinking like I almost did. And she catches oh. it, too. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. And uh, she made a note, a copy of the words from the cavern on a sheet of steel, a thin sheet of steel so that they can be changed. And she's like, you know, I want to get your opinion on this. And he's like, OK, yeah, I'll look at it later. She's like, you're not even going to look at it, are you? And he's like, I, I got to find my answers before I can help and give answers to anyone else. So, yep. He'll be whatever he wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> and she tells Sazed, which I don't know, it sounds like she hadn't told him this before, but it was like, there's this moment when I thought Ellen was going to die, and I chose to let him because I knew that that's what he wanted. And he's like, Sazed, like, how? How could you possibly have done that? 
And she's like, I knew that that's what he wanted me to do. And you gave me that says you taught me to love him enough to let him die. And then she leaves and it's like, oh, and she leaves behind the picture of the flower that had been mares and that Kelsier had given to her when he died. So that's a nice ending. I just want to point out, like, given that we all I think all three of us are generally in agreement that we think Sazed is the one uh, writing the epigraphs. Okay. So it's quite funny when Vin says, like, I held power you can't imagine. Power you'll never be able to imagine. And I'm just sitting there just going, <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that that was thing. in there. I would have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> that is ironic with y'all's theory. Hmm. Maybe, maybe intentionally ironic. Possibly. He's, 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 maybe he's hinting at something, if you're right. Hmm. And then the last epigraph gives us some interesting information about the first contract that the, we've heard Tensun talk about. Yeah, man, it's a full-blown suicide pact. Well, I mean, so it's it's like a list of promises that the first generation wrote down and took the Lord Ruler because they weren't sure if they were about being able to govern themselves independently. And so he had it cast into steel because he knew that uh, the thing could alter stuff not in metal and then signed it. And so it commands to revere earlier generations Talks about legal rights granted to each Chandra, like the trial that Tensun gets. Provisions for creating new Chandra. Ultimate dedication to the Lord Ruler. And yeah, it has a provision which, if invoked, would require the mass suicide of the entire race. That's a hell of a provision. Yeah. Of course, the Lord Ruler's gone now, so maybe he was the one who could have invoked that. I'm sure it's mentioned here for absolutely no reason whatsoever, and uh, will never come mm. up again. Uh, so we go back, we're in the trial... And Conpar's like, so yeah, go ahead and explain, traitor Condra, why you killed one of your own. And Tenson's like, wait, oh, what? Man. Like, oh. You're just really growing to hate this guy in such a short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you like Tensoon, so it's easy to, you know. Yeah, but even so, just like everything this guy says, just like, oh, just shut up. <laughs> well, and there's an interesting, there's one more thing I was going to bring out of the... Uh, the annotations, because this is kind of an interesting bit, and it kind of goes with what uh, Joe was saying about wanting almost like a book about the Chandra history or something. And he says, if I ever do any short stories in the Mistborn world, and this is before he'd written any of them, even the one that we've already read, one I would like to write would be from Orsor's point of view near the end of the events of book one. He was a complex individual, a, two, a true Chandra in many ways, but also a rebel. It was no accident that he was assigned to Kelsier's team who were playing to overthrow the Empire. He was one of the only Chandra willing to take that contract, and he came out of a long retirement in the homeland to accept it. His motivations were his own, and I'd like to explore them. What would a Chandra think joining a movement to overthrow the father of his own religion? What would he think when that movement actually succeeded? How would he react to then being assigned to care for the woman who held the spear that killed the Lord Ruler? Many of the third generation, Tensun and Orsur included, weren't as devout in their dedication to the Lord Ruler as many of the others. Orsur himself had seen what the Lord Ruler had done to the world and the people in it, and yet fighting against the man who was revered by his people in such a holy light. Anyway, I think it would make for a good story. I can't tell it here, unfortunately, but maybe somewhere else I will. That would be a good story to read, I reckon. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's never actually written that, but I would totally want to read that. It sounds super interesting. Yeah, that is cool. Because, yeah, the the thing I dislike most about the Tensoon reveal, like everything else about it was really cool. But I think I mentioned at the time, I was sort of disappointed. It means that we just really never got a sense of Orosur as a character. Yeah. Um, mm. So like, if we get if we do get this story down the line, I would devour that thing. Yeah, it's really 
there's the character. We talked about Marsh not getting that development and wanting to know more about Marsh. There's a guy who got even less development than Marsh, but was super integral yeah. to what happened. So yeah, I would love to read that also. He, he also has a note at the end of that paragraph where he's like, eventually I'll explain why the Contra think they're of preservation and the other races are of ruin. Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> but this is an interesting, because we talked about kind of the same discussion that Tensun and Kanpar have here at the time. When we find out that Tensun had killed Orsor, and I don't think you guys had a problem with it. Like, we knew they couldn't kill humans, but when we find out that he killed this other conjurer, you guys were like, okay, I, I guess that's allowed. And I was like, you guys really think that, like, conjure life would be less valuable to them than humans? And we had a little bit of discussion about it, but I don't think anyone really had an issue with what he did. The conjurer had an guess, issue with what he did. <laughs> yeah. I guess at the time, we didn't know what we know now about the conjurer race and their beliefs and and also how many of them there actually were around there it's like well would Mm. they even know if you had killed your own you know as far as we're concerned we're looking at you know inquisitors that are just barbaric we're looking at coloss that just don't care um they're like i hate you i'll kill you that's fine for us you know that we knew the contract was about preserving human life yeah so i think in that sort of instance i mean knowing what we know now about their homeland and their attitudes, like, yeah, okay, it makes sense that they would be pretty shitty that they killed one of their own. But at the time, it wouldn't have been such a horrible thing, I think. Yeah, we definitely saw Kolos kill one, one another without anyone caring. So, mm. yeah. Also, we were discussing earlier, this is the point where it says Kolos were, were of ruin. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It says, uh, yeah. Kolos kill each other, humans it? kill each other, both, but they are both of ruin. Yep, there you go. So they kind of go they they kind of go back and forth on this where he's like the contract doesn't say that we can't kill another conjurer. Like Tensun doesn't get why this is such a big deal, which I think is a little bit dense because I'm like, come on, dude, seriously? Like one of you has never murdered another one. I mean, I guess some of them have been executed, but uh which is which is another thing because he's like, We don't kill one another. They tried to execute him like a day ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess that was maybe. punishment for something, whereas, like, what did Orosaur do? Yeah, right. He did help uh, kill their father, which is something, but that's not why I feel he was like killed. The, so. the first and second generation would have been, even even if that was his reason for, for getting rid of Orosaur, the first and second generations would have been like, well, that's really for us to pass judgment on, not for you to pass judgment on. Right. I agree. Can't let a third have that job. That's We have the power no. here. And they're like, he, he's like, but it was my contract. We have to do what the people who have the contracts tell us to do. And Kampar tries to pull stuff out. He's like, so, well, why, why didn't you do something else? Why didn't you, like, suggest that Zane be the one to kill him? Isn't a conjure life worth more than that of a man? And Tensu's like, I wasn't going to tell Zane how to kill a conjure. That's insane. He was crazy. Yeah, for Christ's <laughs> sake, Kampar, pick your audience. <laughs> And that's it. At that point, he's still preserving their secret. Yeah. Yeah. But Kampar does have one point where he's like, this is the first time anyone's ever asked, you know, a conjurer to a person in another conjurer. It is a disturbing precedent because if people kept doing that, then we would all kill ourselves. There's not that many. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, that's a good point. But also, they're the ones who insisted he take the contract with Straff Venture in the first place. So. Yep. And that's what Tenzun comes back with. He's like, Look, you guys are the ones who sent me 
to this contract with Draft Venture. You guys are the ones who agreed to a contract to kill our dad. So maybe some of this is on you. We didn't think he'd actually do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's what the, the one guy starts to, like, duh, well, we didn't think he was going to win. They paid, paid so, so well. well. Yeah, we didn't think he was going to actually uh, kill the guy. I mean, no one's ever done it in the history of forever. And that's our dad. You think we really want him dead? I mean, whatever. Kampar's like, shut up, hun four, hun four. Shut up, Jimmy. Silence! <laughs> We've really got to stop letting him into these meetings. <laughs> uh, he's like, Tenson's sitting there like, that That hun four, he never really fit in with the other seconds. He's a little more <sighs> dense. Yeah, he's and by dense he means his You can tell he's not too bright. Up. He's grown an arm coming out of his face. <laughs> yeah. And by a little more dense he means that his true body's made out of, like, you know, sand rock. Ooh, sandstone. I've played Minecraft. I know how yeah, that works. sandstone. That's it. You put you put four sands together and you get a sandstone. Yep. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> and then eventually, like they still they don't want to reveal the the big secret. Compar's like, why don't you just let us pass judgment now? You've already admitted what you did. And Tenson's like, you and I both know that me killing Warstore has like almost nothing to do with why we're here. It's an interesting interesting point. I wonder how they would have reacted if that was the only thing that he'd done. I mean, they might have been like, well, that was part of the contract. I mean, you did what you had to do. That's, you yeah. know, maybe maybe we should stipulate that we can't do that anymore, though. Oh, geez, guys, we didn't think of this. <laughs> we, we need to revise <laughs> the contracts that we use. It's, a, it's only been in place for a thousand years. Like, oh, gee, it's, it's never come up before now. Well, and I guess it's been in place slightly less than that because, like, Tensoon is like, hey, I was here. I helped write the contracts based on the first contract. So don't don't go tell me what the contract says. Right. Because at the dawn of their existence, they didn't have the contract. They were being controlled by Mistborns, and that's why they created the contract. Yeah. Yeah. You just imagine, like, after the Lord Ruler fell, they're just like, oh, okay, we probably need to amend the contracts again. And Hunfu (laughs) was just in there, like, writing, just like, do not kill daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Tenson's argument is that he didn't break his contract. He was serving the greater contract, the first contract. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? That was with the Lord Ruler, and he's dead. And he's like, yeah, but the first contract isn't dead. Vin is the heir to the Lord Ruler because she killed him, so now she's our mother. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I feel That's like he's waiting move, for like... Cotton. We'll see if that pays yeah. off for him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's waiting for that like dramatic operatic sting that jamie just did and no everyone just like stares yeah he's <laughs> like well i guess that didn't work and they're like it cotton parts like this is this is ridiculous like i expected rationalizations lies but this is just insane he's like that's my bag baby <laughs> tenson's like dude you haven't been outside recently have you have you even left the homeland in the last century at all do you understand what's happening out there the let's see ruin has come the life will end the time that the world bringers spoke of perhaps the time of the capital r resolution is here there's another oh, another capital yeah, another capital say, word another one of those things Basically, joe loves where there's a capital word not explained yeah i'm sure it's like ragnarok <laughs> or something you know you get the answer in the last chapter joe don't worry <laughs> it's i mean if we don't i'm just gonna burn my kindle you know <laughs> <laughs> and finally he's like so he talks about the the world the world bringers here and he's like wait you guys just go and hang out with the terrorismen sometimes 
yeah, they have a memory of, of the world bringers. We learned what was the last book, how that was like basically the forerunners of the uh, the keepers. keepers. So they knew those guys, apparently, or at least have a record of what they talked about. Sazed would want to meet these people. Maybe and not like right the now. Lord Ruler allowed to have them, allowed them to have that information after he spent so long getting rid of it everywhere else. Well, I mean, if the first generation was around a thousand years ago, I mean, you can't you can't take it out of their brains, I guess. Although he created them. So maybe I don't know. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. And finally, Tenzin's like, don't you want everyone to know why I'm really here? And Kampar's like, don't do do don't don't make us do this. Don't force. And he just declares he's like, I told her our secret. She knows how to control us. And I'm sure she's told other people. And do you know why I did it? Because she deserves to know because she's our mom now. The trust is hers. We cannot create new blessings or new Chandra on our own. So without her, we have nothing. And Kanbar's like, no, enough. We're done. But Tensun has gotten what he wanted. All the younger Chandra have heard what he had to say. But it seems less impressive now than in his brain. Because he's like, it felt inadequate to just scream like some raving human. And uh, he's like, judgment, it's time for judgment. And he's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm done and they're going to put me in a hole, but maybe some people will believe what I said and they'll go out and find Vin instead of just sitting in the caves while these caves, while the world ends around us. And so they're waiting to see the first generation. Okay. That's who he's thinking about. Maybe the first generation will see this because they're looking up at the alcoves where the first generation watches. And this is their chance uh, to stay his execution basically. And they say nothing. There's no movement. There's no sound from up in the alcoves. Yeah, I really feel like the first generation are dead, and the seconds are like this Kanpar dickhead and yeah. uh, in charge. That's exactly how I feel. I'm like they they got to be yep. dead. So you think they're like weekend at burning the the firsts? Yeah, hundred percent. It's got to be interesting to do with blob monsters with crystal bones. I don't know. They've got a whole bunch of you know, cardboard cutouts just sitting. <laughs> cardboard cutouts. Or they've got their own Alamancer in the back who's controlling their bodies that way. And it turns out, oh, they've actually also broken the... Like, Kanpar's, you know, also told this one Alamancer what to do, and this guy's just puppeting the first generation for him. Oh. I thought you were going to say Ooh. it was like they gave them bones of, like, metal, and now they're dead, and the, the Alamancer's, like, pushing the metal around in their bodies to make them move, but that's... It got even darker. Also... Okay. No. Also fucked up. Also yeah. good. <laughs> but yeah, the first generation has ignored your plea, third. So we will make judgment on their behalf, and your sentence will occur in one month's time. And Tencent's like, wait, wait, what? A month? Okay. And he leaves thinking perhaps his words would inspire his people to action, but he would probably never know. And that's the end of our chapters for this week. So, predicaments. Uh, I guess we'll start with Joe since he probably didn't have anything. So something's going on with Tencent. I still predict like a arbiter-like thing where the second's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna stay your execution, but you're gonna be you're gonna work for us. We need you to do this, kill Vin, you know, like we talked about last mm-hmm. episode or something. You know, I think that'd be pretty cool. Other than that, I predict that I should not drink tequila before we record <laughs> next time. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm still I'm still kind of drunk. But no, I I really like where these where the all the chapters so far and everything we've um, read in this third book. I would say just the first eleven chapters of this book 
are better than anything we read in the last book. So it's good. It's good so far. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Okay, Jamie, uh, what do you have? Oh, sorry. That was a noise. What do you have prediction wise for us today? So I predict that Ulrian's going to be as useless as I think she's going to be. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just can't stand her. Anyway, Tensoon, uh, I mean, I don't think he's going to die. I think that's it's a lot to go into the Kandra backstory and now to drop in that, that Vin's their, their new mum. Um, I don't know if it's a case of maybe he'll escape. Maybe his adoptive daughter will help him get out somehow. You know, he may – sorry, Tensoon made a comment that he shouldn't have been able to recognise her because she's got a new true body. Maybe that someone will get him a true – sorry, someone will get him a true body and they won't recognise him maybe. I don't know. Right. Um, that would be, I mean, that would I kind be pretty of, impressive I, if you could just sneak out wearing a different body and it's like, I'm – I'm not a, I'm not the Kandra that you imprisoned. Yeah. I mean, literally, the last book was all about him impersonating another Kandra and no one noticed, so... Yeah. That, that's true, but they weren't Kandra also, so... That yeah, might I guess. Be. No, that's it. And, like, he still was able to recognise... Um, I can't remember her name, and I don't have the book in front of me. Uh, the daughter. Milan. Or Milan, yes. I don't know. Milan? Yeah, so m- maybe they can recognise him, so that could just be full of it anyway but i think there's now a lot more to this story with the religion you know the church of the survivor and how the Kandra will play into that i i like the idea of you know them maybe sending him out on a contract to get rid of vin but i don't think he would do it or could do it at this point he's kind of made his bed and yeah that's mum I'm not going to go kill mum after dad just got killed like that's not going to work out but yes I think that that will sort of be how it ends up there and I had a bit of a crackpot theory I'm going to give a crackpot one a go because everyone else has had one (laughs) so the myths are trying to convert as many people as possible because then they'll use the metal in the earth and just pull sorry not earth the metal in the planet Skadrill and just pull Skadrill away from the sun Ooh, you just have to they, ha- have a bunch of people line up on one side of the planet and pull. Yeah, and just pull. okay. That's how that's how they're gonna fix the problem. That's cool. that's quite honestly the best theory that anyone's had for how we're gonna fix the problem because we haven't had any other theories. <laughs> no, no, no problem fixing theories for us. The, <laughs> the end is nigh. I feel like it might be a little strange for them to be like, you have to go kill Vin when he's just said Vin is our new mother and we should be loyal to her. But maybe that's their like. You have to prove your loyalty yeah. to us by killing this person that you claim should be over us. Yeah. And like, I yeah, feel like he still, like, his loyalty wouldn't lie there anyway. I think he, right. he respects Vin too much now to to work against her. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, they're friends now. It's, you know. That yeah, was... but that's all I've got. Okay. Uh, Breeze and or Orian are going to die. Be I have nothing in. to base this off. I just, have, I just have a gut feeling. Okay. Yep. Just sometime um, during the book or, like, soon? Or... Yeah, yeah. I feel like, all right, they're here. That's still got to be relevant to the story. I feel like Orian hasn't really done too much aside from convince Set to join the army at the end of the last Orian book. So I feel is like... going to march through all of the ash, and her seven petticoats are going to get <laughs> too dirty, and she's just going to break down and cry, and... <laughs> It'll just, she'll just die in the ash. She'll just get buried. 
That's how she's gonna. Yeah. Die. Just get buried crying yeah. about her dress. <laughs> or I love it. After what she, she said. takes control. Yeah. After she takes control of the coloss, the coloss is gonna break free and then eat her. They're just gonna like go. Attack you know what? Titan I hate you. Style. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> Club it a death. Another theory I had was um, so I think human the coloss is gonna he it is gonna play play a larger part in the story because they're gonna uh, reach an understanding about what the coloss need and what and Vin's gonna find some other way to provide to them and maybe find some way to she might use the power of creation to you know basically unfuck them so they're not just basically kill everything in sight mm. um, and. He, and human might be uh, her key to doing that. Um, I also think that when I, I agree that um, pretty much what Joe said on what ten, ha, what's going to happen to Tensor, and I think that he is going to sent out to basically be the arbiter for the second generation. And as Jamie was saying, she, uh, yeah, he'll be set to kill Vin as a test of the loyalty, but he's gonna, instead going to want to help Vin. And then he's going to come along and find out like Vin's got a coloss hanging around. It's like, did did you replace your, me as your non-human sidekick? <laughs> And then it's gonna be like a total. It's it's kind of like Donkey and Puss in Boots to Vin Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So in the first book, she had like Sazed as her like manservant, and then she had a Chandra as her yeah, like she was like dog. She was like Purple Rain assistant, <laughs> and uh, now she has human. That's uh, she's really trading down. Because like I feel like yeah, but. Uh, but I, I, I just I just want to see the conversation between human and Tensoon because because human will just get really pouty because Tensoon can turn into a human and uh, and human can't do that. <laughs> Vin's gonna show up with her cool ass buddy and be like, "I'm Morris Day and this is my tubby manservant." <laughs> <laughs> Jerome. Yep. I wonder I wonder if the Coloss have knowledge of and re- or any respect for the Chandra as opposed to humans. I feel like that's something we can explore. Mm. Yeah, we don't really know that at this point. Okay. Yeah. I I I, I know. You are you putting that out there, bro? You trying to trip us up? You trying to trying to get us to think about things? You teasing us? <laughs> well, I want I want to see Dax uh Dax meeting between Tenzun and Human now. That's gonna be awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. that would be sweet. He's so like, but I, I could turn yeah, into a dog. She's like, seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you be? But yeah, cool. no, I. I, th- I think by the end, human is going to um, have like a, a noble sacrifice moment for Vin. He'll get over his hatred in some way and sacrifice himself. And Vin will say, you're like, you've learned what it means to be human or something like that. And then he dies. Oh, right. It's going to make me cry. And then he'll be like, yeah. And then he'll be like, hold the door. <laughs> no. and he'll be like, I, I just, I just want to say, I always hated you. I always hated you the most. <laughs> And then I hope I die, you fucking prick. <laughs> My only regret is that I have skin. I just, yeah. Uh, okay, I like uh, I, I like this. This is some good stuff. Yep. Like Brandon will find some way to make a shed a tear for a coloss. Okay. We yeah. I, I I believe Brandon could do it. He can make you cry for the coloss. Never. <laughs> Joe's like I don't <laughs> cry. I had my tear ducts removed. <laughs> That would, that would be bad, actually. You wouldn't be able to moisturize your eyes. It's... Yeah, that anyway. would not be good. Sorry, random sidebar. Uh, this week, we uh, we still haven't gotten to Chapter 12, so I'm leaving Angela's email in the box. We got one from Todd. I won't read all of it because some of it would be uh, is, is more for me. Uh, 
he he does reference Dak at one point and some one of his theories. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it is funny because he's like, I thought that Dax, D-A-X, and then in parentheses, is it D-A-C-K? I just like that D-A-X no, D- would be Dak. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, just D-A-C. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, he says, as always, I love the podcast. You do such a great job editing that I would never know it wasn't one continuous recording. If you ever decide to do a Patreon, then the full unedited recordings would be great incentive if you still have them. I don't want to give... No, uh, nobody wants give that. Mistaken impressions. We, uh, it is mostly just one straight thing i go through and i pull out long pauses i pull out lots of ums and uh i pull out lots of uh i pull out lots of you knows especially for me i apparently say you know a lot like there's there's sentences where i say it like three times and i'm like nope cut 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 now no one knows that i can't talk right uh Mm -hmm. so i'm sure you pull out a lot of likes as well from both of us yeah yeah likes a lot of those and uh from all of us i think yeah, yeah. From, everybody has uh, everybody has at least yeah, some of that, all three of those. Is that just our age group? Because I don't I don't feel that people younger than me say like like that a lot. I don't know. I think That's some younger people do. I also pull out when we have to stop for five minutes because of technical difficulties, which happened a couple times in the last episode. Usually so, my fault. <laughs> so you you wouldn't enjoy the unedited recordings. <laughs> there's there's very little yeah, actual sure content cut. I think I cut. There's, there's a whole lot of people talking over each other, and they're just going, "Sorry, you go." Yeah, that too. <laughs> That's and, true. And I'll cut. I'll cut some of my stuff. Like I think last time, one of the sections I read from the epigraph, I'm like, "Hey, this is interesting," and I read it, and everyone's like, "Says absolutely nothing," and then we move on to something completely different. And I was like, "Okay, there's like two minutes that I can just cut out of me talking about something I don't <laughs> care about." <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the unedited recordings would not be interesting. So <laughs> it's uh. I, Believe I, me, I, there's a reason that we, we're making these cuts. It's because if the cuts weren't there, you would turn the podcast off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, but Todd also says, I like, I love the new song for this book, and it strangely fits the feel of the book as well. And I agree. That's why, that's why I picked it. I think it works really well with the book. I still haven't listened to it. You should totally listen to it. So thank you, Todd, for your email. I appreciate the, uh, the positive vibes always. And that is the only thing we had this week. You started out with that saying something about, like he said about my theory, and then we got talking about my name, and then we, where were we going with that? Oh no, I wasn't going to read that because he's like, hey, Dak said this thing, and yeah. here's uh, here's spoilers that are related to what Dak said. So. Yeah, he's basically trying oh, to okay. tease you. Is what's happening? No, yep, not okay. really. I just I just wanted to be like read the part about his name because I thought that was funny. Yeah. But oh, okay, uh, and then I couldn't say, well, he says Dak. Without explaining the context for why he mentioned Dak, mm-hmm. so it was all. Anyway. So cut this part in. No. <laughs> no. No. This, no. This. This. This following part. What I'm about to say. Oh, okay. Just remember, guys, if you want to be named as one of the missing crew of the Sander Lynch podcast, leave her a five star review and some comments, and I will induct you into the missing Sander Lynch crew. Hey, if you don't think we're worth five stars, just just leave a review. <laughs> I, I'm okay with... No, five with stars it. only. <laughs> <laughs> so, for next time... Your review has to be five stars for you to get a Mystic name. I totally... I listened to a podcast that they read their reviews like that, uh, that same way at the end of episodes, and I left that podcast a four-star review. Because, like, they're really good. I have these personal issues with them, but that's that's really, like, my issue. It's not their issue. But that's why I'm making four stars. But I think people really like this podcast is, you know, I, I read this long review like that. 
And so they read that four star review and it was it it was apparently so upsetting for one of the hosts that they got this four star review and read it that after that they were like, so we're from now on like an episode or two later, they were like, from now on, we're only going to be reading five star reviews. Yeah. That's how you do it. And I was like, geez, I like broke somebody on this show. I feel bad Mm -hmm. now. I want real opinions, the positive and the negative so that we know what people think we can improve on. I, I understand. But the reward for being on to giving a five star review is you get on the Mystic Crew. Anyway. Yeah, Joe's saying Joe's not saying you can't leave a four star review, you just don't get inducted. Did did you make notes about the, the ones who got one before yet? So that you don't forget them? Um no, it's up to you to keep track of what you're doing. <laughs> no, no. I'll go back I'll go back to the episodes and li- and and listen and and write down the names and what i gave them someday we'll add on the website like a a box that's like here's the misting crew yeah i mean i've been busy okay i i I haven't even (laughs) finished i still haven't finished the spook wrap it's still sitting on my desk at work just haven't gotten there i like the idea that you're out of the office and somebody walks by hey what's this on joe's desk oh (laughs) let me tell you hey dizzle a lot (laughs) (laughs) people like i'll find out that people found out about stuff i have on my desk because they'll be like they'll they'll casually mention it in a conversation. They're like, I didn't know you wrote you wrote stuff like that. And I'm just like, what were you looking at my de- what? Uh. <laughs> no privacy. Yeah, no privacy. People just go through your stuff when you're not at the not at the job. For next time, we're reading four chapters again: chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15. And uh, random fun fact: the next two episodes after that will be five chapters each. Ooh. because there's lots of really short chapters in those. There's like four short chapters in this next, in that five chapter bunch. So, God damn. but I think, I think it's a, a result of having, we've got, we've got now like different people in different places doing different things. And so you, I think we're going to get like a little bit over here, a little bit over there. Cause before we didn't have people that were really split up that much. Like Vin would go off to a party and then she comes back to the crew but now we have Ten Soon off, like, all on his own in a place that we have no idea where it is. And we had Breeze and Saze in a completely different place than the rest of the crew, but they came back this chapter. So, anyway. 12 through 15 is, is the gist of that. Music by Miracle of Sound. I'm just going to get that in there right now while I'm thinking about it. Nice. And, yeah. So, in addition to rating us on like Apple podcasts or other places I haven't, uh, I've looked a few other places to see if we got like ratings, but a lot of places don't have the same kind of rating system as Apple. So that's the easiest one to look at, but uh, not everybody listens to us on Apple. So not everyone could leave a review there. Anyway, so like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. That, yeah. That's where I was going like that. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, like Twitter. us on YouTube as well. YouTube, YouTube now. Videos. Yep, that's true. We're everywhere. You can't get rid of us. That's how, that's how it goes. We are not behind the couch. <laughs> <laughs> we're like uh we're like relatives that Speak moved into yourself. your house and now they won't go away you don't know i'm not behind a couch oh my gosh i, I forgot to mention we got this reply because in so the, for the first episode of this book joe had his thing where he's like there's lots of tasty knowledge nuggets in in this episode and so when i made when, when i wrote up the summary for the episode for what got posted i was like joe is gleefully chowing down on tasty knowledge nuggets <laughs> Ugh. And so we, <laughs> wait, we got a wait, wait, wait. Yeah. T- Tasty Knowledge Nuggets, new band name, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
We got a reply first, on Twitter. First song, right about the Peruvian penguins. Yep, true. Peruvian penguins right there. <laughs> it all goes together. We got a reply on, on Twitter after that episode went up from Matt, and it says, dot, 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 knowledge nuggets? <laughs> uh, it was just, it made me laugh so hard. And I responded back to him. I'm like, those are his words. His crazy, crazy <laughs> words. Yep, they don't call me Joe the crazy guy for nothing. Wait. That's not, no, well, not not to your face Who's anyway. They? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some days maybe you don't know. Is, is this why people are going through your desk at work? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what sure. it is. <laughs> okay. Thank you everyone for listening. Come back next week for more of the Sander Lanch podcast. Wait. Wasn't, wait a minute. We what? haven't even seen Spook this this book yet. No. Yeah. Lester Borns be whack, yo. He's tripping. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen Ham either. We, they just talked about him in one chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah they talk about him. It just occurred to me, I was like, wait a minute. Where is that punching bag? <laughs> he's not yeah, showing up. He, he'll walk in ever. He'll walk in with uh, a sideways cap. He's like, wasn't to the whistle. It's your boy, Spook Dizzle. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be the very last chapter, and he's going to walk in just in time to become the Hero of Ages. He's going to be like, hey, what's this power <laughs> laying around? I guess I'll take that. Mm, then... <laughs> tasty power. They left him at the bottom of Critic Shore. He's just been eating the cans the whole time. That would be amazing. He's like, yeah, somebody's going to come let me out, right? Right? <laughs> oh, I have no idea what I was doing before you. Okay. so <laughs> You were about to sign off. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks yeah. for listening, Noticeably FAT, rewind the track. Just wasn't to the time of next. Just, yeah. That's it. of steel and stone crumble to dust the foundations of our hope begin to rust choking fear screaming sound as a river comes to ground you turn to face it down because you must